Amen, amen. You guys can grab a seat. If you're here, if you're at home, you can stay standing, recliner, whatever you want to do. It's good to have you guys with us wherever you are today. I want to say, that here's our miracle. We think of this every year about this time because it's Christmas and we love this season, Sarah and I, but every, every year at this time, we think of the, the fact that we came to Eastview December 1st, 1995. That means we just celebrated 26 years with you, family, Eastview Christian Church. And we love it, and uh, I say this all the time, we've grown up together here at Eastview Christian Church, so it's good to, to be with you and celebrating here today. That's the Christmas miracle we talk about all the time. If you're watching us online, and Lisa Marie from Danvers, and Sherry from Fort Myers, Diane and Kevin also in Fort Myers, it sounds like a church there. The Averys in Missouri and the Beckman family in Florida, God bless you all. I want to give a special shout out to Lee Ledbetter, who's one of our online members from Louisiana. Thank you for the very encouraging note this week. God bless you all. Guys, uh, it, is, it is great to be together and be in the Word of God as we consider this phrase that Nikki introduced to us and that Jason talked about. It's a Christmas miracle. That's what we say this time of year, Right? And it can be, it can be some, something sarcastic, like when all the trees actually light up and you go, hey, it's a Christmas miracle. The trees, uh, the lights are actually working or batteries are included. It's a Christmas miracle, right? Something like that takes place. Sometimes it's just, you're just happy that God's doing something and it's snowing outside. And you say, it's a Christmas miracle. And I'm, I'm still praying for that Christmas miracle for us, by the way. Or you might just uh, have somebody invite, uh, they, they come home that you weren't expecting, a family member that's been away for a while, and you get to sit around with family and go, it's a Christmas miracle. The truth is, we believe in miracles around here, and we want you to invite your friends for this whole series. That's why we have these things. We believe miracles still happen, and if you don't believe it, I want to share a couple with you that we've experienced around here. We experience them all the time, but a few Christmases back, um, there was a mom who had recently lost her son in the military, in military service, and uh, she had come, and she's in mourning, and she's really upset during the Christmas Eve ceremony and services that we have here, and, um, and she's just asking God, God, I need a miracle. I need to, I need to see that everything's going to be okay, and uh, so that day, uh, that Christmas Eve, I had a bunch of kids come up on stage, and I was trying to teach them that God uh, knew their name, knew them by name, and so I'm writing uh, their names on this board right here in red, you know, in red letters, just writing their names up there. Maybe some of you guys recall this. And uh, about that time, one of the young men comes up, and I say, what's your name, young man? He grabs the pen, and he changes the color to blue, and he writes his name in big blue letters on this board. It stands out. You can't miss it. Now, what, nobody else really knew until we found out later that the mom's son who had died in war recently was the same name as this kid that wrote in big blue letters. God does miracles like that sometimes. He, he sometimes shows up in amazing ways. One of my favorite stories is a few years back again, a non-church-going relative was writing to Christmas Eve service with his family, his Christian sister who had invited him. And they're writing in this, in this van on the way to church, and, and uh, Blue Christmas by Elvis comes on. And he just, he's just singing along, and he goes, you know what? If they, start, if they would sing songs like that at church, then I would start going to church. And of course, you guys know what happened. That night, I sang uh, Blue Christmas by Elvis in the middle of a worship service. And so, um, guys, God does little stuff and big stuff like that. He is a miracle-working God. And as our invite cards say, we believe miracles still happen. And so we thought the perfect series during this season in which we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, the most miraculous thing that ever happened, is that we would open up the book of Mark and look at the miracle stories and how they relate to the miracle story of Jesus Christ. I think we could all use a miracle. You know, the International House of Pancakes says we could all use a pancake, 
right now. Have you seen this advertisement? Well, I think we, should, we could use more than a pancake. That we could use a miracle. Are you hungry for a miracle today? I'm hungry for a miracle, and I believe God wants to do one in this. Mark chapter 6, and starting with verse 34 is where we're going to be today. And if you have your Bibles, open them, please. Uh, if you're at home, make sure you get your Bibles open. If you don't have one, come see us. Um, we want to give you one. We want you to be in the Word of God. So here's the Word of the Lord today. With the question, are you hungry for a miracle? When he, he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups of the, on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us today. God, we come before you today hungry in, in a lot of different ways, spiritually, emotionally. Some probably are actually physically hungry right now. And my prayer is simple, God, that you would allow me to do what your disciples did 2,000 years ago. You are the bread of life. You are nourishment. You are what we need. You're the only thing that satisfies our hunger. Would you just help me serve it today? Just let me take the, the, the broken body that you have offered on the cross and offer it to hungry souls. Would you, would you help us all walk away today, Father, satisfied from being in the presence of the Almighty God and hearing of the truth of the bread of life, Jesus? God, only you can do that. Pray that you would do it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What an incredible miracle story that illustrates the deep hunger I believe all of us have in our souls. Everyone here is hungry for God, whether you know it or not, whether you understand it or not, we all are hungry. How many of you, we understand hunger, right? How many of you guys are hungry right now? You skipped breakfast, okay? We got Cafe 19 for you, all right? Uh, I, I know that, that you've experienced hunger to a degree at some point. I try not to say this anymore since I've been to third world countries and I've actually seen it, but used to say, I'm starved. Have you ever said, I'm starving? It's, it's, a, it's an experience. It's a, it's a physical human experience. We all understand. We all understand what it means to be hungry and really desire to get some nourishment in our bodies. Well, this, this um, story, this miracle story overlaps this. And so I want to just look at hungry people. And I'm going to start with this. The hungriest people that I know are tired people. You're tired. And I'm talking about emotional hunger, but I want you to know that this story, this story was born in tiredness. I didn't read it from verse 30 on, but, but the story begins with Jesus' disciples. They've been doing this great Jesus work, and they come back from all, the, they've been doing miracles, they've been casting out demons, very wearing work, very tiring stuff. And Jesus says, why don't you guys come with me? Let's get away. Let's just do a Jesus retreat. It's a Jesus retreat where Jesus is actually there. And we're going to get away. You guys are tired. We need to get some rest away from the people. And let's just go on this retreat. They're tired. 
Not to mention the the emotional tiredness of the setback. John the Baptist's death is recorded right before this miracle and right before they sailed. And so here they are emotionally kind of set back. They're tired. Um, They've given a lot. One of their best friends, the guy that they used to follow, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. And not, not to mention verse 31, if you, ever, if you ever work in ministry at all or ever do anything with, with people that you're trying to help, look what it says in verse 31. Come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while for many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. The disciples were hungry. They didn't even have time to eat. They were so busy doing stuff with Jesus and for the kingdom of God that they were starving. They were hungry. They were tired. I want you to show you this actual uh, what's going on here? They're, they're here in Capernaum, probably. It changes. They're here in Capernaum. And, uh, and the, the Gospels tell us in another place, they end up in this place called, oh, you're going to read that really well. Bleh, Bethsaida. Bethsaida is the place. But they get in a boat here, and they basically go along the shore here, and they land in this place. Now, what happens is, as they're in the boat the people from all around the, the, the Sea of Galilee and the different villages and stuff along the way, they're looking and saying, Jesus is in that boat. We saw him get in. And they're running. They're literally running along the shore going, that's Jesus' boat. And they're gathering more people as they go so that by the time Jesus lands in Bethsaida, when he gets to the other side, there's a bunch of people there. Great crowds have gathered around. It's, it's, you can just see this scene playing out. I hope that you guys can understand it. And so many of us can relate to this because we're tired today. We're, we're, just, we're hungry because we're, we're emotionally tired. We want something else. We desire something else. Some of you are just tired, tired. You're tired from working 60-hour weeks, and you're exhausted, and you haven't slept in a while, and you can't sleep for whatever reason. You got sleep issues. Maybe it's just that you're old like me, Right? Or maybe, maybe you, you, you are tired and you're hungry because you're, you keep trying and you can't get ahead and you can't impress people and people have all these expectations of you and maybe that's your reality. Or maybe you've had so many trips to the hospital lately or you've had some illness that just keeps coming back. We're just tired of COVID news. Just tired of the latest variant. You're tired of the latest thing that's going to happen and everything related with that. Maybe it's your kids' activities. Maybe you're just, you're just tired of running around from here and there. I have found some of the hungriest people I know are just tired. They just desire something else and they keep running so much that they can't do, uh, they can't get filled up. The hungriest people I know are not just tired, but the hungriest people I know are without direction. Do you see this line that Jesus uses here in verse 34? When he pulls into this, and I, I, I want you to understand this, when they, roll, they row into the shore, they see the very crowds they're trying to get away from. I'm going to talk to you about the disciples in just a moment and how they must have said, oh no. Can we just go a little farther south, get to the Gadarenes or something? Why are we landing here? We'll get to that in just a moment. But they see a sea of faces and excitement. They're probably pushing. Some of them are sick. They're trying to shove people towards Jesus. I want you to see all through, all through the book of Mark, I was pointing this out in the preaching team meeting this week, that the great crowds Great crowds. This is rock star status for Jesus. Everywhere he went, people were pushing and shoving and trying to get close to him. And you know how people are. They were being pretty polite, right? It's it's a crazy bedlam scene every time Jesus is in public. And and these disciples, I mean, I'm just going to pretend like I'm Thaddeus. You might have just sitting there going, are you serious, man? Not again. I can see this. Jesus is going to start preaching a sermon. I bet you $100. And I'm tired. 
and I'm hungry just for some rest and some alone time. And, and here we are, here are all these people. But here's what's great about Jesus. Jesus looks at them differently. Jesus looks at them like they're sheep without a shepherd. Do you see that? And when he pulls in, he says, they look to him like sheep without a shepherd. In, in, in Matthew, the same, the same passage in Matthew says, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That you guys should take note of anytime there's a sheep thing in the Bible because that's, that's who we are. The Bible talks about the people of God being sheep all the time. Let me tell you why we're sheep. Number one, sheep are pretty vulnerable. They don't have a defense mechanism. You don't have a high school team called the fighting sheep because sheep don't fight. <laughs> sheep get eaten by wolves. And, and you just, you, it's, a, it's a unique animal in that sheep are vulnerable and susceptible to attack like none other. Sheep have a lot of needs, like lots of water and lots of green grass, but they don't know how to get there. So sheep t- tend to put their dumb little heads down and wander around and get lost and wander off and become vulnerable and become prey to something else. They're also prone to injury and illness. Aren't you glad that the Lord referred to us as sheep? But it's so true. Unlike any other animal in the animal kingdom, a sheep needs someone to take care of them. A sheep needs a shepherd. And Jesus looked at these people that were wandering around and they were lost and they were desperate for a miracle. They're hungry for more. And they come onto the shore and Jesus goes, oh, the sheep are back. And he sees them differently than the apostles do. So many of us today are without clear direction. You're not sure what God's up to. Maybe you're a sheep that's been following the shepherd for a long time and you're still going, where is he going? How is this going to turn out? Why isn't this prayer going to be answered? How is this pain going to go away? When will this ever end? And some of you are here, you've never started following the shepherd and you are wandering around looking for green grass and you're never satisfied. The pasture you're in right now You need something else. So we need Jesus. Listen, if you're here today and you're hungry for a miracle and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, there's a miracle for you. He wants to feed you. He wants to lead you because he knows he's the good shepherd and he wants to take care of you. This other thing in this passage that's clear, and this is the big duh, you know, sometimes I come up with some, you know, incredibly brilliant things. The hungriest people I know are without bread. That ultimately is the issue here. They don't have something to eat. Finally, these people numbering as many as 15,000 to 20,000. I just wish I could paint for you this better picture of them walking, uh, running along the sea, the northern sea of Galilee shore, and they start in Capernaum, and it's two miles to Bethsaida, and maybe they went a little further, but everyone, they go, come on, it's Jesus, come on, he's in that boat over there, come on. And by the time Jesus pulls onto the shore, there's 15 to 20,000 people. It says 5,000 men here. 15 to 20,000 people is a probably low estimate. And they're pushing and they're shoving these thousands who ran to catch up with Jesus and crowded around to hear his teaching. And here's the funny thing about this story. Only one thought about what they were eating for dinner. I would have been that one. I planned my meals carefully. But only one, and it's just a little boy, the Bible tells us in the other passages, uh, the other um, gospels that share this story, that a little lad had five loaves and two fish. When they get to dinner time, these people are hungry. 
In fact, I, I want you to see the, the need that the apostles understand in verse 36. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat because there's nothing to eat here. Jesus, we're out. So you need to send them to get something to eat because they're hungry. This is literal hunger. It's a picture of spiritual hunger, though, I believe. It's a, it's a picture that you and I can understand because I believe we live in a world that's hungry, that hasn't planned ahead. What is this reality in my high school or, or college years going to mean when I'm 20-something? What is this divorce going to mean down the road? What is this financial decision going to mean down the road? And we have, we have really gotten to this place where we're going, oh, we didn't plan ahead. Now we're hungry for something real that's just going to nurture us and nourish us, and we don't, we're not prepared. And I, I believe we live in a world that's so hungry for a miracle, it's unbelievable. And on that first Christmas, when Jesus was born into the world, you know what he found? A hungry world, much like what I've described for you in this miracle. Jesus was born into a world that was exhausted just from life. Jesus was born into a world that was wandering around like sheep and hungry for something more. I shared with the staff on Monday in our prayer time together as a staff this Christmas story that we love to tell in Luke chapter 2. We usually zip past those first five verses pretty quickly because they're not the happy part of the story. But you guys understand the Christmas story was born into, literally born into the backdrop of a pregnant, tired teenage girl traveling 70 miles in cold and rain, accompanied by a husband-to-be who's not really understanding what's going on, and a government mandate that says he has to go register so he can pay taxes. That sounds terrible. And that's the place that that the Christmas story is literally birthed into, a world that is struggling, a world that is wondering about wondering if the Romans are in charge or the Jewish leaders are in charge and, and wondering when this child is going to be born and wondering what this child's going to be. And then Jesus is born. Maybe you can relate this Christmas to Joseph or to Mary or to this crowd standing on the shore. You're going, I'm just hungry for something else. I'm hungry for a miracle. I'm hungry for God to do something in my life. Well, I've got good news for you today is that Jesus is here to do a miracle in your life. That's why he came. His name is Emmanuel, which means God is God's with us. And here's what I want to tell you today. However hungry you are, if you're tired and you're hungry, if you're wandering around and lost and you're hungry, if you're just hungry, hungry, Jesus comes into your world and we remember it at Christmas time. He comes into your world to feed you, to nurture you, to nourish you, to give you something that will satisfy you in the deepest parts of your soul. I believe that, and I hope you guys are ready to receive that today. Well, it's not hard to find people who are hungry for a miracle, but how should we respond? See, this this story uh, is part, hey guys, there's food here for you, and it's also part like discipleship 101 training for those of us who follow Jesus, because he teaches them here how to feed hungry people. How do you feed hungry people? I believe it's the same way you do it 2,000 years ago and, and to this day, 21st century America in this Christmas season, in this auditorium. Number one, how to feed people. You feed them with compassion. Do you see this? Don't miss it. Jesus had compassion on them. Let me play out verse 34 maybe in another way. He saw the great crowd and he got out of the boat and he said to them, hey guys, we're really tired and we're on a retreat right now. And so um, would you guys come back tomorrow morning, go get some bread, and you show up in the morning, I'll preach to you all day, and I'll heal everybody. He didn't do that. Or I can see Peter stepping out, I got this, Jesus. Hey, guys, get away. We're on a retreat. We don't have time right now. 
We're going to go over there and camp. You guys leave us alone. That's not what happened. This verse says in verse 34 that he saw the crowd and he had compassion. (laughs) I love this. I can just picture the disciples seeing the crowds and just turning into reverse rowing. You know, they're, they're coming. Are you serious right now? Okay, everybody, let's go. Let's go. Let's get out of here. I'm not going to, I'm tired. We came here tired. We're trying to have a retreat with Jesus. We're trying to get away and refresh and renew and feed ourselves. But this one word overwhelms it all. Jesus had compassion. He cared. You know, I love this word. I've said it before. It's the Greek word, root word, splunkna. Splunkna. It sounds like what it is. It's intestines. Jesus had intestines for these people. He had guts. He was moved in a deep, deep place inside his soul. He couldn't say, come tomorrow. He couldn't say, see you later. He couldn't say, leave us alone because something moved deeply in him for these people. And here's a discipleship lesson for us. We're never going to feed hungry people unless we learn to have compassion on them. We gotta care. And it's really easy not to care. We're never gonna feed hungry people of our world until we're deeply moved by their needs. If you're not moved today by the kids in this town who don't know where their next meal's coming from in the thing that's called, you know, uh, uh, food insecurity, then you're never going to give them the bread that they need in Jesus Christ. There are widows that sit alone day after day after day in this home, in this town. And if you don't care, there are homeless people who slept in the cold last night. There are rich people in this town who are so poor, all they have is money. There are people who are living in the guilt of their past and they can't move forward. There are young girls hungry for love who will have sex to try to find love and there are young men in this town who will try to prove their manhood through having sexuality and all the carnage that leaves behind. Do you care? Kids are victims of divorce, students drink until they pass out, middle ages contemplate suicide and they work right next to you. Do you care? Not to mention Haiti, people are starving. El Salvador, where drinking water is subpar and teachers have to walk miles in Kenya just to to teach and then walk home again. The question, before I tell you what we should do, the question is for you as a disciple in the boat with Jesus going on a retreat because you're hungry yourself, are you going to row to the shore or are you going to back away and go on down the shore to find a quiet place? Because I believe that our work and our feeding the hungry people around us begins with our care, our deep care about what's going on in their lives. How to feed hungry people? Have compassion. How to feed hungry people? Part two, feed them spiritually first. This is an aha with Jesus. Jesus rarely does a physical healing before he does some spiritual work. Isn't that crazy? It's just, it's just like, it's like Jesus knew what was going to happen. He could have seen this whole thing playing out. Hey, you know what? I'm going to teach for three hours. So uh, you guys, I've, I've put some bread and stuff over there behind those trees. Go get them and get the people some food. And then they'll be able to endure this long teaching that I have. He doesn't. He steps right out of the boat. He has compassion on him. He says, okay, y'all ready for a four-hour sermon? Let's go. And he begins teaching. As far as we know, in this passage, we don't see him doing any miraculous thing. These people had needs. These people were hungry. These people needed to see and to walk and to hear. But all he did was start teaching. He begins to teach until it was too late. 
All the, all the restaurants were closing down to Bethsaida and he's teaching and teaching and teaching. No miracles, just a sermon. Why? Here's why. Because the words that he quoted in his temptation that we studied a few work, weeks ago were true for him. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What these people think they need is bread. What they really need is living bread. What they really need is to be nurtured in their souls. The living word teaches so that he can satisfy their spiritual hunger first. One of the reasons that we do the way we do with international ministries is that we partner with churches because we believe the church is going to be the super. Listen, I care about people in this world that don't have drinking water, but I want them to have living water first. And we care about people who are hungry in this world, but we want them to have the bread of life first because we can feed them and solve every issue there is. But if we don't give them Jesus, we've kind of missed the point. Jesus taught them the word of God first. And by the way, this is all plays right into the Christmas story. You know, bread is a, is a thing at Christmas. Do you know that? Because I know how God is. God's a perfect planning God and everything is detailed to the last cross T and the dotted I. So maybe you know this and maybe you don't, but I get fascinated with this every year. He's born in the city of David. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Bethlehem's the city. You guys probably know this because you guys look smart. Bethlehem means house of bread. That's what it literally means. So when God says, I'm going to feed the souls of mankind, I'm going to feed this world and nurture them and nourish them, I'm going to send the bread of life to be born. Where would I have him born? How about the bread? How about the city, uh, the town of bread, the house of bread? Bethlehem. And then, of course, Jesus becomes this bread of heaven. Remember the miracle from Exodus? He tells this story in John chapter 6. The people are saying, well, we, you know, Moses gave us bread from heaven. And, and, uh, and Jesus says, no, God did that. That's a picture of what God does. And then in John 6.35, he says, I'm the bread of life. And finally, you guys see this, right? In 1 Corinthians 11, where he gets these instructions, Paul does, that Jesus broke the bread and said, this is my body. Now, if it was just, you know, me, you go, man, he lucked into those four things happening together. But it's Jesus. He was born in the house of bread he is the representation of the bread of heaven. He is the bread of life. And when we take communion like we did earlier this morning, he is that broken bread that is for our um, ultimate salvation and our nourishment. Guys, Jesus knows these people are hungry and he knows what he's getting ready to do, but he wants to see what his disciples will do. Remember, this is discipleship training and he's doing all this teaching and there's probably a few amens because it's Jesus He's probably pretty excited about the, the crowd. It's a good crowd this Sunday. There's 15 or 20,000 people. And he knows what he's getting ready to do next. He's had compassion. He's given them the word of God. But here's the final thing on how to feed hungry people. You give them something to eat. Jesus knew what he was going to do. We find this out in one of the other gospels as this story unfolds, John 6, 6. He asked them, how are we going to get uh, bread for these people? And... Uh, and he knew. John 6, 6, he already knew. He just wants to see what these guys are going to do. How is their faith going to play out? Guys, I want to ask you this question. There's a, I've, I've tried to make a point this morning. There's a hungry world around you. They're tired and they, they're, they're um, wandering and they need some direction and they need some nourishment in their lives. How are you going to feed them? Well, like, like, like these disciples long ago, we often go through some of the same, some of the same processes. 
Solution number one is found in verse 35. Send them away. (laughs) This is the well-wishing Christian. Be warm and filled. God bless you. See you later. And uh, that's what they want to do. Hey, Jesus, here's the problem. I don't know if you've noticed this or not. Great sermon, by the way. 15 to 20,000 people. It's getting late. We're hungry ourselves, actually. We, 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 remember, we skipped the several meals over in Capernaum before we got on this boat. And it's time to eat. Just send them away and let them take care of themselves. And, and many people today, even followers of Jesus Christ, just go, well, it's their problem. It's not my problem. They're hungry. Let them figure it out. Solution number two is found in verse 37. I'll figure out how to do it on my own. I'll do the calculation. In John chapter six, we find that Philip's the guy. And Philip's going, you, you would expect Matthew because he's the money guy. But Philip's just 200 denarii. 200 denarii is the plural of denarius. A denarius was a day's wage for a laborer. We're talking two thirds of a yearly salary. That's how much it's going to cost for us to go to this place and buy bread for all these people. He's trying to figure it out on his his own. Have you ever tried to figure out Jesus stuff on your own, in your own power? Solution number three was try to scrape some food together. This may be the worst idea. But Andrew, he, he goes, we find that Andrew in John 6 is the one, Peter's brother, who identifies this little boy with five loaves and two fish. I love that there's just, I mean, look at, anybody got any bread? Anybody? anybody? There are probably some people going, no. Just hiding it behind their back. This little boy goes, yeah, I got this. And Andrew's thing was, yeah, we found it. We tried to stir this up. We tried to find the food so we could all share, have like a pitch-in dinner. But we only have five loaves and two fish. And here's, here's what, the, what he says in John 6. It's not recorded for us here in Mark, but, but Andrew says, but what are these among so many? Because I really believe that that last thing is what a lot of us do and causes us to miss miracles during this time, this season. Because we look at what we have and we go, that's not enough. This could never make a difference. And honestly, let's just, in in our logical way, there's 15,000 people, there are five loaves and two fish. What good will that do? It's a great question. But they missed the lesson that Jesus was trying to teach them. Because what Jesus was trying to teach them was, give me what you have and ask for a miracle and believe in a miracle and stand back and watch. And I think he's still saying that to that to us today. When we think and consider of all the things that are the needs of this world and this community and the people around us, the emotional needs, the spiritual needs, just in this congregation alone, and it's overwhelming. It's like, I can't do anything. I can't give enough. This expanding ministry offering, we want a million dollars. I've only got $10. I've only got $100. I can't give. You know what? Jesus is not asking you to figure this out. In this hungry For a miracle world that we live in, he's not interested in us problem solving and using our own power. He's interested in how much faith we have. And he's calling us today saying, hey, would you just give me the five loaves and the two fish? And and I'll I'll take care of of the hunger. There's something else important that he does here. By the way, the Bible doesn't tell us how the miracle actually happened. We don't know if it's sleight of hand two here, two here, five here, six here. I mean, we don't know. We don't know if he said, hey, just go look in those baskets over there and there's bread multiplying everywhere. We don't know. Maybe he just went through a McDonald's drive-thru and said, I'll take five or two filet of fish and an extra bun. And uh, that was it. (laughs) That joke never gets old to me. I've been telling it for 37 years. (laughs) And nobody ever laughs. 
Remember, this is Christ follower training, guys. He's going to do the miracle, but he wants to involve his followers in this great work. So he says, I want you to help organize this sitting down. Sit them down. Get them ready. They sit them down in groups of 50s and 10s. I'm, I'm sure they had some like gluten-free sections too there for him to do this miracle, right? But what he did then, he desires for us now. He wants to use us to do the miracle work. He's the miracle worker. He's the one that takes five loaves and two fish and feeds 5,000 men. But he's asking us to be involved. He's asking us to pass it out. Guys, you're gonna hear about this over the next several weeks, but we, we believe that God is calling us to help serve the hungry people in the world. These are a few photos. Up here you have... Um, He's had the, the group of El Salvador, this church, they're meeting together, planning a, a well system or something like that. This is the housing that's proposed for our teachers that are teaching at our school that we uh, help start in Kenya. This is a Haiti food pantry, like what we do here, except way more crucial for daily living. This is a welcome home Haiti house. This is a, the guy that's planning the church. I circle Jamie's face. He's planning a church down in South Florida. This is the Eastview Leadership Development Center that we started five or six years ago in Damo, and they're ready to do another one because they train thousands of missionaries, evangelists, every year to plant churches. My question is, how are we going to get enough for all these people? And Jesus' answer is, you give them something to eat. You give sacrificially. We're praying for miracles here, people. We're not trying to figure it out on our own. We're not doing the minimum. We're trying to get a miracle during this Christmas season. We believe that Jesus multiplies what we have when we give it to him with faith, and he miraculously wants to involve us into feeding thousands, millions of people. I want you to notice the result of this feeding of hungry people. I love this word, verse 42. They ate, they all ate, and were satisfied. Ah. <sighs> Not hungry anymore, because Jesus did a miracle. And my prayer for us in this town and in this world is that because we're willing to serve the food that Jesus miraculously provides, that millions of people this Christmas are satisfied. They're full. Prayerfully, when you came in this morning, you received one of these cards. It's a star symbol that represents the miracle that led the wise men to Jesus. And all throughout this series in December, we want to use it to celebrate the miracles God has done in our lives. And here's how it works. And I want to encourage you all. I, I, seriously, we need, we need hundreds, thousands of you to do this. Here's how it works. You simply hold this card up and you, you take a picture through it of the thing that is the miracle God's given you during this season. Maybe it's an old miracle. Maybe it's a new miracle. So if I was in Mark 6 in this story, I'd take a picture of, you know, a loaf of bread. I take a picture of Jesus working the miracle. I take a picture of my family eating. And, um, and, and you get the idea how this works. Uh, what, the reason we're doing this is because when Jesus does a miracle in your life, you have to share it. One of the ways that we feed people around us is saying, hey, I was hungry once too, but he did this and now I'm full. And so we want to share these miracles. In fact, this is a cool thing that one of our guys pointed out this week in the meeting. This is the only miracle that Jesus does that's told in all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why? Because it's, it's a miracle that has to be shared. So here's how this works, guys. You guys are way more technically savvy than I am. You take the picture. You post it on your social media with the hashtag, this is my miracle. All one word. All, this is my miracle. All one word. Tag at Eastview Church. If you don't understand it, ask your grandkids. 
(laughs) But we want to celebrate the miracles that God's doing all through this season because he's a miracle working God. Miracles still happen. And we want to celebrate what he's done in our lives so that we can share with other people what he's getting ready to do in their lives. Would you help us witness to the miracles that God's done in our lives? Somebody is hungry for a miracle right now. And Jesus is asking you and I to give them something to eat.